If you are a businesswoman working to amplify your six and seven figure business from success to significance, then you know it's not just about the right strategies or the right tactics. It's more and more about high caliber people around you, your team, your collaborators, and advisors that can open doors for you and widen your reach. Welcome to your Circle of Influence podcast with your hosts, Dr. Monica Ogando and Amy Walker. Welcome, everyone, to your Circle of Influence. I am your co-host, Amy Walker. And I am your other co-host, Dr. Monica Ogando. And it's March, and we have been talking about thought leadership and different ways that you can create new revenue streams. And uh, the best of the best for this topic today is the one, the only, Dr. Monica Ogando. We're talking about money moves. How can your money make money and how does that fit into your overall thought leadership platform? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, Monica, jumpstart us, lead us in. (laughs) This is, this has got next to God. Okay. Next to God and talking about God and people's spiritual journey and, 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 and soul walk to mastery. This has got to be my second favorite. Um, in fact, really like even behind Prince, I don't know. Yeah, you know what it is? Is Prince number two or is money number two? Okay, hold on a second. Hold on, because I feel attacked. Hold on. Let me just tell you (laughs) that (laughs) I I find it very difficult to find people that have the kind of understanding and passion that I have for for Prince. So that's why I'm like, okay, I'll just enjoy Prince by myself. But money, people can get behind that. They're like, oh, tell me more. You know what I mean? So then that's what makes it for me. You know, I see it. Listen, Prince, I know you're listening. But <laughs> I had to set her straight. <laughs> so the money moves conversation is important to me because at the time that I, as I, as I have shared before, my, my villain origin story, <laughs> um, my first career out of, out of college was as a financial planner and a stockbroker. And a lot of the things that I had to kind of overcome was people looking at me like, wait a minute, she just got out of college. You you barely can rent a car. What, what are you going to tell me about money? Right. Right? <laughs> um, and so it was important to me to be as skilled and as money literate as possible so that I can translate the passion that I had about this to people, even though I didn't have the portfolio to show for it because I just mm-hmm. had not been on the earth long enough to build it. Right. Um, so I want to talk about how your money can make money in terms of your thought leadership. So we talked already about monetizing your intellectual property. We've talked already about monetizing your relationships, but let's talk about monetizing your money, which people think "Mm, that sounds like a, that sounds redundant. I still remember the first time someone asked me, he was like, well, is your money making money? And I was like, I literally don't even know what you mean by that. Yes. Yes. So let me, let me, where is your money? I was like, I don't, no, like hopefully in an FDIC insured checking account for now. <laughs> it's like it's in my children's stomachs and on their feet. What right. can I tell you? And on their backs. <laughs> yeah, they're wearing it. Yeah. Um, so so here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about um, short term money and long term money. And then, of course, in the middle, there's midterm money. Right. Short term money is like your cash flow. 
It's mm-hmm. like pricing your services, your products, et cetera, for profit so that what you put in, in terms of labor or inventory or whatever, can then also make money, right? And so that's why it's important, especially for those of you that are in a consulting or in a service provider um, industry, that you get very clear about what's going into the service you're providing, what's going into um, your intellectual property, your expertise that you would be monetizing um, so that you can- And your labor is not free. Can we just your say that? not free. Absolutely. Um, so, so you've heard me say time and time again about the, the uh, Profit First model, mm-hmm. uh, Profit First book by Meg McCallowick, et cetera. So typically we think about a cash flow statement. We, we look at, at the top of it is the sales and then the cost of goods sold, for example. So now you have net sales. And then you trickle it down to operational expenses. And what you have at the bottom is your profit, if you have anything, right? That's why it's called the bottom line. But with Profit First, you're kind of turning that on its head so that you begin with how much profit you want to make. And then you end up just trickling that down to your other commitments, such as your salary. Now, here's what I find so interesting about the the framework. With Profit First, let's talk about an acronym, P-O-T-O, right? And so that, that acronym has profit at the top. That's what the P stands for. But the O, the first O, stands for owner's draw. So typically the things that you leave for last, usually your profit you leave for last and paying yourself you leave for last, those are the things that go first in this framework. So you want to get clear about how much it is that you want to get paid. And then you have taxes. Now you pay Uncle Sam. And then you have operational expenses. Now you make sure that your, your business can also be sustainable. So that would be the first way that your money makes money is by pricing your services, your products, and everything that you do for profit. So that then whatever you have left over in terms of your salary and in your profit, you can then reinvest that in the business. And we're going to get into how to get into that. So that's short-term stuff. The short-term slash mid-term <laughs> way that your money makes money is through your credit leverage, uh, whether it's business credit, personal credit, uh, other people's money, as it were, you know, sometimes you, you take your business through a round of friends and family before you actually go out and look for institutional investors, such as a bank loan and so forth. But this is the way that you can actually, um, if you are cash tight and you leverage other people's money, you leverage your credit, you leverage investors, you can do stuff for your business that then would generate money. Here's what I yeah. mean. Let's say, for example, that you know, because you worked with Amy, <laughs> you have your SOPs done, you know exactly what your lead generation is going to be, you know exactly what the funnel is, et cetera. And you know, you have your numbers and you know that if you put a thousand people in this funnel, by the time that they get to a sales call, you'll have, let's say 300 sales calls. We'll talk later about your team so that we can talk about how to actually handle 300 calls. Um, but out of those 300 calls, let's say 200 of them show up. And out of the 200 that show up, 150 of them end up buying. Let's just say, because you have really good conversion ratios because you work with Amy. But in order to get a thousand people in that funnel, you need a $20,000 advertising budget and you don't have $20,000 to advertise right now. Well, that's what you use your credit and investments and other people's money for. That's why it's important for you to be registered, for your business to be registered with Dun & Bradstreet to get your Dun's number, to build trade lines so that, and trade lines meaning like a, an, an account with Staples or with Office Depot or with, you know, other, other uh, your rental car rental company and so forth that offer you, that report your business credit so that 
your business credit profile can rise enough to be able to warrant, um, you know, loans, credit cards, et cetera, that don't require your personal credit to be at stake. In the event that you cannot or that it's not time for business credit yet, you can use your personal credit and loan that to the company. Now, let me tell you something about this. This is not a favor. This is not paying dues. This is a business move. You are your company's first investor, if for nothing else with sweat equity, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you are loaning your business, if you're putting $20,000 of your savings, let's say, into the business, that is a loan, people. That's not you paying dues. You need to write down a promissory note that says, I, individual, put your name, loan, um, fill in the blank with your company name, $20,000 at 10% interest for a term of 36 months or 72 months or whatever it is. And it's going to get paid to me starting on such and such date. Here's the penalty if they default. And here's, you know, the incentive for early payment. Now that money that the company is paying you back for that loan is not income. Cause you loaned it to the company with after tax income. And when they pay it back, it's after tax income. The only thing that is income for you is whatever interest the company is paying for that loan. Right. So that's a very important distinction for your money to make money because then that way you, it's not, you just not robbing Peter to pay Paul as it were. Mm -hmm. So that's the midterm one. And then in terms of legacy or long-term, I always, and Amy knows she kind of laughs at me because I'm, I'm a really, I rant and rave about this a lot. And it is that just as when you look at corporate America and you look at employees, when somebody goes full-time, when they're after their probationary period or whatever, they're eligible for 401ks, they're eligible for the pension fund, they're eligible for, you know, a PTO and this and that, you get to give your business and your employees, you being number one, benefits as well. What's your 401k like for your business? Do you have a SEP IRA? Do you have a um, self-directed IRA? Do you have a 401k for your business, et cetera? Even if it's just your own investment account or your business's investment account, that's where you put your profits. You don't put it in a savings account. You put it in an investment account. Now, you might not know how to trade the market like I do. I've been swing trading for years. But if, if even if you just put it in an ETF or in a mutual fund, it'll give you more ROI than a savings account. And this allows you to then put money in every month or every quarter, however you do it. When you pay your taxes, you pay your investment account. <laughs> and in this way, at the end of a year, at the end of two years, at the end of the five-year you know, long-term vision, at the end of the decade, whatever, however long it takes, and, and it's inversely proportional to the amount of risks that you want to take, mm -hmm. then you can say, you know what? I don't feel like dealing with clients this year. I need a sabbatical. And I need my, my business to sustain itself without me having to put labor in it in order to get money out. And it also allows you to have a, a crystal clear vision about who it is that you are willing to work with and for. Because, you know, everybody yeah. knows that not all money is good money. Mm -hmm. You want to be able to say no to a client or to fire a client without your financial stability being at stake. And that's yeah. why you put money in your investment account so that the investment, the dividends, the ROI can pay for your lifestyle and not your sweat equity, your life, your, your labor. Does that make sense what I'm saying? I feel like I'm rambling, maybe. No, 100%. Um, it, 
the, and this is how you have gotten to the point where like 95% of your income that is required is made by the dividends from your investment account, mm-hmm. um, which I've watched, I've watched you do this, Monica, like when you had the year from hell where <laughs> yeah. you had so many deaths in the family in such a short window of time, mm-hmm. it was not hard for you to stop doing other things to just be present with your family because you knew that income was coming in and it wasn't tied to your time. And I think very few people actually set themselves up that way. So I want to ask this question, um, for people who are like, that sounds amazing. Uh, how much do I actually need to start investing and how long is it going to take to get there? Do you have any perspective on that? It's like, it's like physics. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a formula. So mm-hmm. the, the volume is how much qu- is the quantity of your investment, right? So of course it'll grow faster, the bigger that volume is, right? It'll take a minute. If all you got is a thousand dollars and then you're putting a hundred dollars every month, that's going to take a minute. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how amazing the ROI is. It's still, the volume won't um, sustain it. You, you're going to have to wait a minute. Now, the second um, criteria, not just volume, but now also your risk tolerance. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people just want to set it and forget it. I want to be able to deposit some money into a mutual fund, into an ETF, into some folks even tried with crypto. (laughs) And we've seen how well that has worked out. Um, And just leave it there and have it grow. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to trade. I don't want to be looking at charts. I don't want to do research on companies. I just wanted to set it and forget it, which is why a lot of times people just go with a Charles Schwab or an Edward Jones, et cetera. So that somebody else can be minding the store as it were, and you just have to deposit mm-hmm. money, right? That's fine. And if, and then some of the investments that you make might be low risk as well. A mutual fund is a lower risk investment than an actual stock that you're purchasing, right? Because the mutual fund has a group of stock in it that mitigate the loss of any one company. Whereas when you're just investing in one company, when it goes down, your money goes down, right? Mm-hmm. So you want to think about the volume, how much you have to spend. And don't make yourself wrong about this either. If all you got is 100, then that's all that you need. If all you got is mm-hmm. 1,000, that's all that you need. If you got 10,000, that's, that's fine too. Right. Just know that it'll take a certain level of patience and discipline in order for it to grow. What the metric, the benchmark that I want you to think about is how much money do I need to have in there so that if I sit down and I never work again this year, not forever, but I mean like this year, then this will pay my mortgage and my this and my that and and payroll, et cetera, et cetera. As a business owner, this is a business investment. Right. So how much do I need to have in the investment account? Total portfolio worth in order for me to be able to say, okay, I can sit down now and work towards that, mm-hmm. work towards that. So that by the time that you reach it, it's kind of like a mini retirement. Yeah. I like it. Okay. So what is your first money move you want everyone to make that's listening today? <sighs> if I could wave a magic wand and have every single woman entrepreneur Every single woman business owner, every single woman corporate leader is, I want you to create a revocable living trust. Don't ask me about this later. 
just go go to your lawyer and go to your accountant and have it done, right? But create a revocable living trust. Move all of your assets to a living revocable trust. That means if you've paid off your house, put the house in a trust. If you've paid off your car, put the car in a trust. doesn't have to be the same trust because you also want to mitigate liability. But you've moved all that stuff there. And what happens is you've created legacy for your heirs, for your spouse, for your children. If anything should happen to you and they need access to that money, the money that you have in your savings account, that can also go into a trust. Because then that way it, it, you're circumventing state uh, probate court and uh, state taxes and all this other stuff under $5 million. But that's another sermon for another day. Um, but then at least that way, it's like, if anything should happen to me, my people have access so that they can bury me, so that they can handle medical mm-hmm. bills, so that they can they know what to do with whatever it is that I do, right? So when you have that estate plan and when you have a revocable living trust, you can move assets there. That's the first step is the revocable living mm-hmm. trust. The second step is finalize your estate plan. That means your last will and testament. That means your health directive in terms of a power of attorney, a financial power of attorney, um, and a list of where all of your accounts are so that whoever it is that is your financial power of attorney would know what to do and where to find them. This will give you peace of mind. This will also clarify for you what you have and what you don't have. Maybe there's some stuff that needs to be upgraded, maybe some stuff that needs to be updated, et cetera. So at least you have that level of clarity. That's the second step. The third step Get your credit score up. Because then with your personal credit, you can build your business credit. And from there, you can leverage other people's money and other people's investments so that you can invest in your business and so you can then create some, you know, breathing room for yourself. And then the fourth step. Oh, Lord. (laughs) And then the fourth step is give yourself a timeline. Give yourself a timeline. So that you can say, you know what, in 90 days, I'm going to have step one and two done. In a year, mm-hmm. I'm going to have step three done. It, and then get clear about, again, like I said to you before, the benchmark of how much money do, you, do I need to have in my investment portfolio so that I can sit down. Once you get clear on that, then you can start putting it in there. And the dollar cost averaging, you're just putting in $100,000 every month or whatever it is, 10000 whatever it is for you, right? I don't have any judgment on that. However many zeros it takes, that's what it takes. But at least you, what you'll do is that the dollar cost averaging of it, whether the, the, the market goes up or down, it'll leverage itself out. The market always goes up mm-hmm. uh, long term, right? And so when you can let it sit there for a year, two years, three years, et cetera, by the time that you look up, it'll be like, oh, not only have I maximized my profit, not only have I maximized my relationships, not only have I maximized my intellectual property, I can sit down. Yeah. I can strategize about my next chapter. I can decide whether or not I want to retire and what retiring actually looks like and define it for myself. Instead of always hustle, 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 the next launch, the next project, the next whatever, the next client, because eventually you will burn down from that. And it'll, mm-hmm. it'll, it'll mitigate your ability to be effective and your willingness to be in integrity. Yeah. I can't remember where we were recently, but there was somebody there and she was, um, probably 20 years older than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could just tell that the smile was 
only surface deep. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking like, oh, she's done, but she still feels like she has to be here showing up in the same way right? as she's always showed up before. And I remember in that moment thinking, and I, I told Steven, I was like, Steven, I'm not sure what it looks like, but we need to make sure that that's not us. Like yeah. when the joy is gone, then we need to be done and right. fully able to be done that like in or if it just our contribution wants to shift because our interests have shifted. That's but right. I, it was I really clear in my mind the feeling that I had when I I looked at it. I was like, she's been training this. Her presentation was really out of date. Mm-hmm. She hadn't changed it in like twenty years, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was mm-hmm. old information, and she's still out there on this circuit trying to create the same results with the same information that she had 20 years ago. There was no more innovation. And I could just tell, like she was putting on the smile and she was doing her presentation, but the joy was not there. Yeah. And, um, this right here, this conversation is what ensures that doesn't have to be you. That's right. That's exactly right. And listen, it it might be scary. You might not be, there's some, you know, people, financial literacy varies. Some people from zero to some people like, "Ah, I don't know, I'll give myself a C or whatever, but a hundred percent of the times that you have been alive, a hundred percent of the days in which you've been alive started with you not knowing something. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> right. You were born not knowing how to walk. You were born not knowing how to hold your head up. You were born with no motor skills. You were born with no cognitive memories. All that stuff you got because you kept living. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with money. I love it. All right. Good stuff today, Monica. I yeah. want to give you like an air high five. Amazing. Amazing. (laughs) Thank you all for being with us today and uh, make sure you come back next week because we're going to be continuing our conversation around thought leadership with a conversation on how to use speaking as your, as an income stream Mm -hmm. and also for building your thought leadership platform. So make sure you come back. We look forward to hearing from you and leave us those comments. Uh, You can reach me on Instagram at Amy Walker coach, and you can reach Monica at Monica Ogando. Thank you, everybody. Talk to you soon.